Today's episode of Nerder She Wrote is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnett. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined as I am every week by Seth Partnow and Mo Dakil. And we've got a special guest who's not really a guest. He kind of built this house. It's it's sort of like um, the previous tenant, Coach David Thorpe. Hi, Coach. What's up, guys? How are you? Uh, when we jumped on the Skype call like 25 minutes ago, Mo was quick to point out, that you it must be tanked up weather in florida oh god <laughs> it's yeah it's 80s and i'll, I'll be swimming daily within maybe 10 days uh-huh. it'll be 80 degrees or so in the pool and i am going to get a workout in as soon as we're done here so yes i'm ready i've already got tanked up ready to go see what's listen a, if, if i'm quarantined in milwaukee yesterday god. i heard it's chicago too i heard that's crazy Oh, Coach Thorpe, what's a Coach Thorpe workout right now? So I walk 90 miles a month, and so typically I'll do three miles a day. Um, I think I'm going to do two two-mile walks today, one two-mile walk where I listen to some kind of podcast by myself as soon as we're done. And then I'm hoping to walk with my wife two miles uh, maybe before dinner tonight or after. And then I do twice a week. My daughter and I are doing my torpedo workout, which is a 100 jump rope. Uh, 100 second plank on one of those like exercise balls and then um, like a, a core twist with a 15 pound medicine ball. She doesn't do that. And then uh, 10 burpees. And so this week we're doing two days of two rotations of that. The next week we're going to do three days of three rotations. And then we're going to try to work up to three days of five rotations on those three days. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be a process. I need to do Always do five, but I'm 55 years old. I'm trying not to die on the job. <laughs> you got to put go. that online because, and then people can start doing the oh. torpedo challenge. If I want to stay married past my 30th year, which is August, I will not be doing any live videos of me in a tank top. My wife, is not <laughs> I look good in a tank top. So part of why I wear it just to say, you know what? I don't have to do everything you say. This is the one time I break off. That's I right. Live, man. I gotta no, live. no sleeves in protest. <laughs> not exactly. And then I do pull-ups and push-ups pretty much every day, but that's, you know, whatever. I do 15, 15 pull-ups, 30 push-ups. That's, you know, that part I've been doing for like eight years now. All right. All right. Well, so a follow-up to last week's episode, Seth has written part two of his offensive style analysis. Um, Seth, this, this week was about variety in the NBA and how the fact that people complain that everyone plays the same is – not totally accurate. Style is one of those those things that it's hard to completely quantify. There are different ways you can do it. One way you can do it is just look at shot location, and um, I don't think that's a good way of doing it because uh, the analogy that people have used that that is like, 
man, I wish more of these football teams would try to kick field goals more as a way of complaining that NBA teams are, are all trying to get good shots, which, you know, of course they're all trying to get anyway, that's the whole point. Uh, but that, that's, that's one way you can look at it. Uh, another way you can look at it is again, we have uh, synergy play type data going back to 2004. And I don't think that's a perfect way of looking at it either, but it's a different way of looking at it and uh, kind of looking at the, uh, I kind of uh, created a way of kind of uh, measuring the distance between two teams in terms of a style um, and and judging by that way, uh, the average team is about as different from the rest of the league as they always were. But the uh, there are more teams that are, are bigger outliers now than there have been at any time in the last 15 years. So... At the very least, there isn't less stylistic diversity, and depending on how you w- you you want to categorize things, there is more in many ways. Now, you want to argue that you don't like the diversity that the Rockets provide? Okay, but that's a different criticism than everyone plays the same. But also, I mean, the Rockets being the example, right, that everyone points to, that being boring and all, they don't play the way that they did the last few years. This season has been different. And especially once they doubled down and and moved Clint Capella. Yeah, I mean, I think last year, especially the, I mean, they, um, the the NBA as a whole used to ISO a lot more than they do now. Um, but the last two seasons, the Rockets have ISOed more, not even relative to the league, just like on raw numbers, they've ISOed more than any teams ever, basically. Despite the fact that the league as a whole is ISOing about half as much as as it did kind of 15 years ago. So just in terms of, of as compared to the rest of the league, they are just a massive outlier in in that way. Um, but there's other, you know, there's other teams that are um, uh, the 76ers play very uh, play very unlike you know every other team in the league now. Um, with their kind of emphasis on the post up and and um, you know obviously a a six ten non shooting point guard probably um, <laughs> probably influences style of play a little bit uh, also so well, I mean it's so it's not just Houston there are other teams that are that are like at least relative to the rest of the league getting weird so then I, I guess I'll I'll go to Mo and Coach here why do you guys think I mean looking at the data. We see that teams play differently. Why do you guys think there is this, I don't know, uh, myth that that everyone just kind of plays the same? I think some of it's kind of just a, a lazy narrative, right? We watch Luka Doncic come off pick and rolls. We watch Luka Doncic run some ISO with the Mavs. And, you know, we've seen the comparisons, fair or not fair, of, of his game to Harden's and, and his ability to accelerate and decelerate and all that stuff, you know, and everybody just assumes, okay, no, he just plays like Harden. Whereas when you look at the way the Mavs play, it's just really different, right? Like they, they get Luca off the ball early and, and then get it back to him. They use a lot of DHOs to get that going. They post him up a smidge, you know, and try to create out of the post from there. I mean, there's just so many different ways they get the ball to Luca, but for just the average fan and just the way they kind of what they hear, I think, in the echo chamber and just kind of what they might see in a in, in a few plays is is how they just assume this is how the Mavs play. And it's it's almost like exactly like the Rockets. And you're like, that can't be further from the truth. I think it, the easiest thing to do is look at uh how what what Seth said how many how, how many shots look similar in the box score so I just as we're talking I'm looking it up the Pacers took 27 and a half threes a game the Rockets took 44 so you couldn't say Houston 
in any really way, Houston and Indiana don't run similar offenses, right? But the Celtics and the Blazers at 34 threes a game are within 10 of Houston. So you could argue half the league is, you know, very reliant to some, well, very is a relative word, on the three. But yeah, Mo's right. It's it's lazy discussion. Um, it also suggests a an ignorance that exists in the NBA, but not to an extreme. Do y'all, do y'all remember uh, Dan Marino? Yeah, of course. You remember who his wide receivers were? Mark Duper and Mark Clayton? Right. Mark Clayton, could make, remember his thing was he could jump over a ping pong table. Yeah. Which is pretty good. Pretty good. So I grew up a Miami fan until the Buccaneers came in Tampa in 76. And my roommates in college were Miami guys. So we had no fucking choice but to watch the Dolphins. Um, and man, Marino was slinging the ball all over the place. But you think Don Shula won Super Bowls uh, throwing the ball in the 70s? Of course not. Right. He adjusted. So why wouldn't you build your system around the roster that you have? Uh, as also, maybe the coach that you have that, you know, what his strengths are. Um, you're still going to end up shooting a lot of threes, at least for half the league, because you get a third point. Like, that's a really valuable thing. And why would you post up, uh, you know, a bad low post? You know, when the Jazz are trying to post a Rudy Gobert, it's a problem. Why would you do that? If they had Joel Embiid, I think Quinn Stein would call for my post-ups. That's right. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's. It, I think uh, it, laziness is part of it. I do think there's a sameness, uh, without question there is, um, but I don't think it's as homogenous as probably what the narrative would suggest. Well, I think one thing that we could definitely point out looking at the data is that it seems like the good teams lean into the things that they're good at, which is what you want to do. <laughs> Right. Kind of makes sense. Except right. <laughs> uh, the only team that's been good that goes away from the thing that they're best at has been the Warriors, and they're just so good, it didn't matter, right? Like when when your when your second best option is well, let's see what KD can do. That's a, that's pretty good. Like you don't have to just hand the ball to Steph Curry all the time. So uh, like why I, I, I just don't get it. Like because these players are so different, and teams lean in. Why would anyone think they play alike? I mean, I think I, I'd have to agree that that there is a certain there isn't a a defined like especially as compared to like college where you know three hundred some teams and wide varieties of style, right. longer shot clock, and more, much larger top to bottom talent disparities. Worse players, yeah, yeah, the worse players and and you know fewer guys who can actually like. Uh, teams that have between, you know, some teams have five guys who can who can play. Some teams have maybe one. Uh, the, you know, yeah, there's there's a a wider variety of styles. Um, but I, um, I think that the the bigger point isn't that teams play to some degree a recognizable quote unquote NBA style. Like, yes, they do. Uh, but that's 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 it. As I try to point out in the article. That it has, it was kind of ever thus, and it's it's less, you know, teams are less homogenous now than they were before. I mean, there was a time where everyone, you know, put two guys above the, you know, above the arc on the opposite side of the floor and and threw the ball to Mark Jackson or Charles Barkley or or whoever and let them back down for eight seconds and point and and try to point at the ref and say, hey, call that guy for illegal defense and then keep backing down and back. And that was that yeah. was basketball for. And that was the way most teams played. Um, and and so, like, if you want to say that, that the NBA style is homogenous, sure. 
it's no more, and by at least this measure, less that way than than it once right. was. You know, so what kind I, of a weird critique. It's one of the things that we probably don't bring up enough when we talk about the rule changes the NBA has made, like in the last thirty years, is that a lot of these rule changes, what they've done is they've actually allowed for more room for creativity, for uh, unique offenses. And obviously opened up more space on the court. So you're actually operating in different areas than you used to, which helps, you know, with the product. Like not every team is doing what you said or ISOing uh, some wing, you know, at like 16 feet. I think the rule changes is, is a very overrated thing, um, especially when you look at hand checking. Uh, right. Watch the film. I have um, hours of it. I watched it live and didn't think much of it. I've gone back and looked at it in the last couple of years. First of all, you don't you can't hand check someone that you're not near, not standing close to. And no one was guarding anyone outside 18 feet for the most part. Right. During during those days. What I what I and I also don't think it's so easy to control a guy, you know, with your with your hand, uh, especially if he's a really good player. Uh that sometimes it actually can work against you. What I do think has made a difference, and I'm thrilled for this rule change is it's no longer legal to club a guy, right? It's no longer legal to sack the quarterback. Um, thank goodness. But I, I do think most players aren't afraid if, 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 and weren't afraid then uh, of being, of being like, feeling pain. I do think they were like, well, I don't want to go get lit up because I don't want to miss two weeks. These guys love to play. And so uh, I found it to be – I hate – I, going back, I hate watching those games where it's rollerball. Um, I so really basically do. Basically, the Detroit Pistons. Well, I, I, I'm almost rolling you guys. I go back to, you know, I watched Kevin McHale take out Rambus, and I wanted to kick the TV. Like, that's not basketball. Right. It didn't make him more of a man. I don't think the I, – I know the narrative was the Lakers were soft. I, I don't believe that. I did think it in, inspired the Celtics some. But at what cost? I just I think it's a garbage basketball, and so it's so it's as you said, Dave. It's a cleaner game now, mm-hmm. and, um, and and who doesn't want more? It, it, it'd almost be like saying, "Hey, Picasso, let's see you paint." But every once in a while, we're gonna punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I would, I'd rather see Picasso just paint, and see what he comes up with. You know? I don't know. I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> I, I am. Can you paint under pressure? Right. 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 That would put yeah. like Guernica right. under a whole new light. <laughs> being punched in the face when he. Jesus. Good. Good luck lighting up Russell Westbrook or LeBron James, and not think they're going to continue to go to the rim and not want to fight you. Also, uh, we have more guys that are in incredible shape than we ever did. Less guys smoking cigarettes than we ever did. Um, are there I, any? I, I mean, are there any guys in the league that we know of? The last one I knew about was one of my students, Kirill Fashenko yeah. from the Ukraine. He he liked to smoke. I know uh, Teo Dosic, but you know he didn't stick around very long. Maybe because uh, of the smoking. Uh, Teletovich may also apparently. Yeah. Teletovich, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Gosh. Thank goodness. So but you know, the, go ahead. The, like this, this goes to like one thing though that when coach was talking about it and, and the game, the rule changes and everything kind of opening everything up. I do. And we've talked about it before. Like I do think we need to kind of help defenses a little bit with how we officiate games and, 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 and allow us, you know, allow defenders to at least 
kind of just play a little bit of defense here, you know, because at this point now it, it feels like it's almost impossible. It's almost like the uh, the pass interference rules in football, you know, and it's like the advantage always goes to the offensive guys. And a lot of times I think that that kind of hampers a little bit of what we're seeing in the game in general. I'd really see traveling called more. Um, if if I could make one rule change, that one rule enforcement, it would immediately be uh, let's call the NBA games like we would a high school game. Uh, call travels. When they slide their pivot foot, when they split their feet, when they take the extra step, let's make sure we're square on what the gather step is and what it isn't. And, and let's not have any teenage boy or girl watching the game thinking, man, those guys can do stuff that we're not allowed to do. Uh, in terms of that particular rule, you would that would already be a big plus. That'd be another five to nine turnovers a game for uh, for the offense, and and then they would clean it up, which actually takes a bit of an advantage away because the reason why they're traveling is because it gives them an advantage in the first place. Right. I, I think that so that's that's an interesting thing. I've argued that offenses are a little too juiced. Like defenses are in, is inherently at a disadvantage because. Defense is all reactionary to the offense anyway, so you're always a you know a step behind uh, unless you really know what's happening. Like LeBron, you know when he's telling people where to be, you know for their out of bounds plays. Um, but I think that the illegal screening that's allowed and and the lack of travel calls are, are two easy things that you could clean up to help bring some balance back. Not that I want to see I don't want to see offenses handcuffed at all, but I would like to see the defense have a shot. Yeah, we want to compare the balance. Yeah. And and I think Coach said something that was really important is getting the officials on the same page as to what is the travel, what is the gather, what's, you know, what's an illegal screen, you know, is it the, you know, how much are we going to let the uh, the screener stick his ass out to get a guy, you know, or or are we not oh, going man. to at all? Or like all of these things, like just just getting the officials on the same page would be just a start, you know, and uh, that stuff. Right. If you guys have access to Synergy, which I'm assuming you do, uh, watch. I, yesterday with a player, I watched about 25 Joe Ingles pick and roll clips. He's really a brilliant, brilliant player, uh, for especially for a guy that you know has no real athletic talents besides you know being coordinated at six foot seven with a you know probably six eleven wingspan. Um, his angles are incredible. His his pace is breathtaking, breathtakingly slow. But nonetheless, ready to pounce when there is an opportunity. Watch, watch Joe Ingles destroy Siakam in pick and roll that whole game. Uh, he made Siakam look look silly. Uh, no one's going to see that unless you really focus it. But you'll watch it, Seth or Dave or anyone, and you'll see what I mean. But here's the other thing: while you're watching it, enjoy the illegal screens Rudy Gobert keeps setting. <laughs> because oh, that's, that's that. This in Europe, they clip everybody. And, although they've gotten a little better actually in Europe. In the NBA, we're we're training the wrong way. We're yeah, Rudy Gobert is clipping and holding, and it's a, it's a mess. It's part of the reason why Siakam was getting destroyed. Is he, I think he kept waiting for you know to be grabbed or pushed or or just illegally sealed off. So yeah, I, I would like that. I think we can clean up those things and make it a more competitive game that way for defenders and more consistent. Uh, that's been I think I've been banging that drum kind of all, all all year on that is it's it's something you can see they, they've I, I don't know if this is taught or just kind of how it's how it's developed is kind of it, you know you see you set a pick and you roll the basket now it's like you set a pick reverse pivot so that the pick is now double width 
And then like, and, but that revert, like you're not like, Oh, I'm not rolling into the screen. I'm just like winding up to start running mm-hmm. towards the basket on the roll. And all of a sudden, uh, you, you, but this is this is like in terms of giving the defender a chance. If the defender has to take a line to get over the screen that's two feet higher up the court than yeah. the guy coming off the screen, they get no chance. And this is where you get these that that like awful like I'm coming off a pick. I kind of feel a hand on my hip, so I flail up in the air to try to draw a three shot foul. It's because if you're if I can't like okay I can't get my body through there because all of a sudden there's this you know six nine two hundred and forty pound thing. That that rolled into me as I'm trying to get through there. If I can't put my hand on you through that, I got no chance of staying connected. And so, you know, you 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 kind of get rid of that like ugly flail thing too. If you give the defender a chance to to kind of beat the guy or ride the guy over the screen instead of getting you know redirected to kind of an outside lane. So at the athletic, we're trying to help small businesses and local businesses during this weird time that that we're all experiencing. And uh, one of our listeners sent in um, a little bit of ad copy for uh, the place that they work. And uh, we thought it was a good idea to kind of give you guys a heads up and, and point you in their direction because we think they're doing good things. More Than Words is a social enterprise that empowers youth ages 16 to 24 who are court involved in the foster care system, out of school, or homeless, and help them take charge of their lives by taking charge of a business. In addition to their operation shifts, every person that works at More Than Words participates in curriculum and workshops designed to help build critical skills and has access to individualized case management and advocacy support. The COVID-19 crisis has forced More Than Words to shut down a number of its business lines, but a skeleton crew of full-time staff are keeping their online book selling operations running. You can search thousands of titles online at mtwyouth.webstoreplace.com. That's mtwyouth.webstoreplace.com and support a great cause simply by buying books. Don't go to Amazon. Check out this website, see if your book is there first and, you know, try to try to do a good thing with your money if you can. Uh, your purchase will enable more than words to continue to pay the people that are not working and help adapt components of their program to be delivered virtually and coordinate the distribution of food and other key resources to the folks that are actually working for more than words. So it's a good cause. Go there first before you buy a book. I don't know if they have Ethan Strauss's new book, uh, but if you're thinking about buying it, go look and see if it's at mtwyouth.webstoreplace.com and then just go wherever else if they don't have it. Uh, Guys, all right. So I've been thinking a lot with all this downtime about the one... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, now I have time to think. I'm not watching film Um, because you can't think and watch basketball at the same time. Uh, And and I had had a couple of thoughts. The first thing that I want to talk to you guys about or ask you if you could change one thing about the NBA game, okay, one particular thing, what would it be? The game or or the way the NBA is run? The game. The game okay. itself. And, and this could be, for me, it's I would widen the court and eliminate the short corner. I don't think that. We, it, we, we've it, talked about this before. I, know. I don't think that matters. Much. I think it opens up lanes to the basket. I think you get a little bit more action inside. Um, and it, it would... Uh, if you do that in addition to calling travels and screens, 
it mitigates some of the the loss of offense by just creating a little bit more space. What about you guys? Because we we just don't we haven't talked about this. Uh, I have kind of I will agree with Coach Thorpe's uh, point about uh, about calling travel in a way that is is like recognizable to other basketball games and and along those the, the larger thing is to make the basketball that's played more recognizable and I think that is the instant replay rule especially on like out of bounds stuff like. Uh, the NBA has largely avoided situations like we had in the national championship game last year, where it's like, okay, we know we know that we know whose ball that is in every pickup game, in every high school game, in every in every college game that doesn't have instant replay. That that's obviously like, okay, the the guy, the defensive guy, slapped the ball, went out of bounds. It's offense gets the ball back, but because in super minute, minute slow motion. It clipped a fingernail of right. the offensive player. We're going the other way, and that's just that. That's that is that is elevating uh, uh, form over substance. Well, it's to, perfect. Uh, to, perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah, exactly. Well, Seth, let me let me ask you this, Seth. Would you be open to we're going to do instant replay, but it's not slow mo, but just real time? Like the referee I, you gets know, maybe maybe we designate the referee. I'm just throwing out there. I, I want I instant replay I'm, gone. Or or just have uh, have someone who's replaying everything, but that's just their job. Like I I when I kind of think maybe like instant replay is is really only for like was was his foot on the line or not was the ball in his hands when the when the clock expired or not those are you know out of bounds three pointer or no or shot clock game clock expired like. Everything else is so like judgmenty, and you get into these like, what is the definition of touch? And it's just like, right. you know, let's we're we've kind of gotten away from from you know basketball that we recognize, and also it's just not good, you know, it's not a good spectator experience either on TV uh, because it gives our favorite announcers more times to talk about not basketball, <laughs> and it gives more time in the arena for there to be music and like the backwards eating cam which is the worst invention ever <laughs> i got a couple can i do two sure i mean there's no rules to this it's a we're podcast. In no rush coach none <laughs> of us have anywhere to go when i when tom and i were doing nourisha wrote god damn it we had rules so um so the first rule i would have is um probably one that is is pretty well thought of anyway i would get rid of fouling out uh Fouling is fucking stupid almost always. Uh, Thorpe's first rule of defense, as any one of my kids would tell you, is don't fucking foul ever. Uh, there's very, very few exceptions to that. Um, so if you're fouling and I'm your coach, I'm taking you out anyway. But if it's clear you didn't foul and the refs just screwed up, I'm not going to punish you. But I'm, what I'm definitely not going to ever do, though, is have to worry that some dumbass referee, and I don't just mean the NBA, it's at every level, but certainly in the league, who just missed a big call or he wanted to take care of the superstar and he screwed over your, your third best player who happens to be very important for you because his backup is hurt and now your next guy backup can't play and now the whole game is affected. So I don't have to take him out, which I've realized in many cases you shouldn't anyway. But we should just eliminate that entirely. A foul is a foul. I don't care if a guy fouls too many times, he shouldn't be in the game anyway. And I watched, watched Andre Bargnani in a... Some of the game fouled 10 times against, the, I think it was the Kings. 
So I've seen what it looks like when a guy can't stop bowing. But that was summer league. My second rule would be I think there should be a 75% limit to how much you play to the game. So Interesting. We, we track minutes anyway. It saves our coaches from the greed they have to win right now. because They don't care about all costs uh, down the road. They're just trying to save their job all the time. So it, this allows for strategy. Um, I think it's – in fact, I wouldn't even mind if we did on back-to-backs maybe a – a 68-minute limit, if you're stuck on a back-to-back, you just have to manage those minutes, just like a manager does in baseball. It has some strategy, as I like to say, from Mr. Bush, to, to what's happening. But mostly it's to protect our athletes. So no matter what, uh, if, you're, if you play your 36 minutes and there's four minutes to go in the game, you are coming out until unless the game goes overtime. And then you get – I also think we should do less overtime. Maybe we should play like a – Three or four minute overtime at, at most. Elam ending. Oh, Elam ending for overtime makes so no, much I'm sense. I'm completely far off for, on that. For, we know where I'm at. Because no. overtime, in, wait, overtime. overtime mode? Come on. Even in, even in overtime. You don't even get buzzer overtime. beaters you typically in overtime. It's not, you're not even taking away. And, and most I overtimes, think, no, I, I it's like a seven to, point we, lead happens in the first uh, minute and a half. And then we're just grinding out the, the last three minutes. Before. We discussed this before. Should okay? be first to seven. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make it. A whole thing of like we're going to engineer the ending. That's let's just stop doing that. It's not okay. Let's stop trying. That's exactly it's the seven. Honestly, Elam playing to a score is, is how the majority is, of people play basketball their entire life to a score. Let's just stop it. Just stop it. It's We've true. Had this conversation before. It's no Elam. I don't want Elam ending in any NBA game besides All Star game. If they whatever. If they do some random. Wow, your, tournament your or whatever has hardened. I told you it was going to. I told you after that 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 uh, episode a few weeks back. If someone know, listening I, can I animate Mo segments. yelling at a cloud, that's that's what we need. No, nah, dude, it's just no, no, it's just you guys are wrong Mo. and you can't see it. It's okay, it's fine. It's it's no problem I mean, with that. W- but it's just so you'd rather have that. a sixty second overtime or or two minute overtime. I don't mind I if I have a. I don't mind I if we have a short in overtime. I would I do a four minute next year and see how that goes, and then maybe check three minutes if that's even better. Um, it, had, it, it has more excitement. Uh, the shorter the game is, obviously, so I wouldn't be afraid to go. I wouldn't do one minute, but I, I would do. I think minimum three. I've done. I've seen many three minute overtimes because of high school. That seems yeah. fun, especially the twenty four second clock. In fact, that's another thing that makes it more fun. Overtime. Go to a twenty second clock. Go to an eighteen second clock and play for three minutes. You can do that too if you want. I'm not saying do it. Um, well, teams are just dribbling the ball at the top of the floor for the first, you know, right. 14 seconds of the shot clock. So, anyway, anyway. <laughs> we got to save our players from from coaches who like you know. It just drives me crazy seeing these coaches. Who, even when they're up 15 with two and a half to play, and they're leaving the starters in, it, it drives me nuts. It's just it's a risk they don't have to take. But I understand why they're doing it, and I don't agree with it. And well, so, also a lot of that's tied to individual statistics too. It is, and we have to stop worrying about that too. Well, but you, I, I you're never. That That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of players caring about individual statistics. No, they will if there's a rule. Thirty-six minutes, guys. You I know, mean, listen. My son pitched in baseball. We had a hard pitch count. We let him finish the batter once you once you reach that number, and that was it. There was no exceptions. I don't follow the major league uh, that closely, but I'm certain they do something similar. There's a science behind that. There, so, there is a science there, but the the Major League Baseball doesn't have a hard and fast rule about pitch mm-hmm. counts. Right. 
but we can do that for basketball. Pitchers only pitch once every five days. That would be interesting. I mean, from a strategic standpoint, it would be pretty interesting. And you, you just, I think you just get a lot of players, you know, maybe playing uh, the whole fourth quarter or something like that. And not, it's not even that. I think it puts a whole different level in roster construction. Well, right? you can't and have guys that can't play. Right. Exactly. You know, you got to figure out how you're going to do all this. And, you know, it's it, it makes me to come up with the 36 minute like a rotation. Yeah. That gets a 48 your, minute rotation with nine or 10 guys or whatever. Nine guys that, that like nobody gets more. That, that's it's really. Like, well, they do it on 2K. You can yeah. just build the rotation. Hey, I went to the day before I quarantined on March the 8th. I was in Florida State. I was in Tallahassee for they beat Boston College to win the ACC. And I talked to Coach Hamilton the day before at practice and that morning and shoot around. And I don't really watch much college. And he told me we're going to we're probably going to play 12 here in the first half. And they did. And they always do apparently play at least 11. And his guys have bought in and every guy is fresh. They understand their role. They play so hard. I, I've always thought that the guys like Mike and Tony who who like to limit that number are making a big mistake. Empower your roster, play more guys. Uh, and if a guy's tweaked up, sit him out, give another guy a chance, you never know what you'll find. Uh, but if you play guys less minutes, you're playing other guys more minutes. We're developing more talent because of it. And uh, and they'll play harder. I mean, they'll just give it another level because, uh, I mean, who averages more than 36 minutes this year? It's very few. But what they'll do is they'll play more in the bigger games and less in the other games. And I, I like what you were saying. I, I said it. I like the idea of strategy. You know, there's six minutes to play, and Giannis is at 33 minutes. What do you do? Do you and you're up five? Do you leave him in and try to get up 11 and then finish the game without him? Probably sometimes. Or do you save it for the last three minutes? Probably sometimes. I think it'd be fun to play with that. It's something adds a intrigue to what's going on. And I know the argument is, well, we want to see the best guys playing the most minutes. No, we don't, because that's how you limit them later on. Yeah, and I, I wanted to push back a little bit, Seth, when you're just saying it's easy to build that rotation. Yeah, it's easy, but then stuff happens. A guy twists his ankle and he's out, you know, or, or this guy's sick and he can't play or whatnot. So it's, it's through the course of the season, your rotations change, or this guy's in a shooting slump, and now you got to change change the rotations no, up a I'm, little bit I'm and saying, things okay, like that. It, if, it, if, if it you adds know, an interesting element. You, you start with 240 minutes and you figure out who you're giving those 240 minutes to, and and then you construct a, like a, a rough timeline of when guys are going in and out of the game. That's not like, you know, it, it, it takes a, a little bit of time, but it's not, you know, you, it's not super difficult. It's a, I mean, it, I mean, it, it is to make sure the roster that the lineups are balanced and stuff, but it's not like it's, it's really, it's, it's, let's put it this way. It, it is a bigger, it is a bigger lift to visualize that, uh, <laughs> of like from uh, you know computing fashion than it would be to actually construct it from a all right this guy's gonna start the game he's gonna come out five minutes in gonna go back the last two minutes of the first quarter gonna come out at at nine minutes of of the second back in at four and then we've played him I I lost track of minutes but that's probably about you know <laughs> that's that's and probably you call 16, yourself a numbers no, guy that, that, no that's that's like 16, 17 minutes in the first half and so if we need to we've got a few extra minutes in the second half and we do that both halves and he's at thirty four and there's a little bit of wiggle room if we need to somehow like bring him back a little early in the fourth to get him up to thirty six like you know it's not you work backwards a little bit it's not that that like. It, no, you know. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. It's not hard 
putting the the let's plan our rotation. It's just in the course of games, things change. Like Coach Thorpe talking about like, oh, do we keep Giannis in and try to push during these three minutes or should we save him for these next, you know, for the last three minutes or things like that? It adds an interesting sort of in in game analysis for a coach to have to figure that out on the fly. And that's hard to do, you, you know, just to substitute. Yeah, and yeah. in, in its sense, and now you got to add. Now we're adding a a math element. I mean, Seth, it's going to lead to guys like you sitting on the bench, you know, and and oh, and, a, and, and helping with that. Fantastic idea, then. No, oh, see, that's now we got him excited. Okay, now Seth is in. No, I don't want, like anyone listening. I I do not want NBA travel schedule in my life. So no, that's not. It's a brutal schedule, dude. Right, there's, nothing, there's, there's nothing wrong with with uh, I I respect your thoughts, Seth, on that. Of course, um, family first, and I made that decision a long time ago. But if you if if we're if we're compelling NBA teams to add brilliant people, uh, especially some brilliant women, onto the bench to help with the math part of this, fantastic. Like we we can't go wrong as a sport getting smarter. And just being surrounded with smarter people, that doesn't mean you won't have good debates because you will. There's an argument to a lot of different uh, – there's two sides to a lot of these arguments. But I, I just like that part. And, again, it, it goes to uh, you, the, the coach who says, hey, I asked the player. He said he felt fine. Like – and I'm not mad at Steve Kerr. But, of course, Kevin Durant said he felt fine. There's a lot of reasons behind that. And this is, this is not about Durant necessarily. It's just the player who's played 37 minutes – and the game goes overtime, and now it's 42, and maybe it goes double overtime. Uh, we, we've got to save that. It just There's no reason to ever get that. They, they track plays in every sport. I don't know hockey all that well, but in football, uh, they track uh, uh, collisions. They track how many snaps you've had, run snaps, pass snaps if you're a lineman. Uh, all those things make a difference. And if we want to add years, not, every, not everyone built like LeBron. If we want to add years to our best players, in fact, we'll nobody just, is, is we'll like LeBron. <laughs> no. We'll steal a few minutes each game, and I think I think you guys are making a really good point too that I hadn't thought about. About uh, you, you, you're forced kind of to to build your depth a little bit more purposefully, which would include your G League team. Which it'd be great. Right now we have 28. It'd be great for all 30 teams. To be completely, first of all, it'd be great to get them all in your same city and build your G League teams. This is where you're going to develop even more depth. I watched a lot of G League this year. The talent is immense. And I happen to think, I've not said this publicly yet, but I think next year as a chance, let's let's say by, by September, uh, everything's back to normal, which no one thinks it is. But let's say it was, just for the sake of argument. The G, the G League this coming year could be the greatest season in the history of minor league basketball in America, uh, not including the ABA because it wasn't really that minor, because Europe has been decimated and devastated on the financial side of things. There's a lot of companies sponsoring teams that aren't banks and governments, and they're in trouble. And so the salaries guys can make, especially with an Exhibit 10, uh, not to mention a two-way, of course, in the, in the G League, is never going to be better than this coming year compared to what their options are in Europe. And we have a chance to grab really, really talented players that would normally go overseas and never come back. And they're better over there than some of the guys we have here in the NBA. So we can grab them. The G League should be loaded. We should get better coaches coaching them. And trust me when I tell you, there's some really bad teams 
on the G League level from a coaching standpoint. Forget about roster uh, uh, creation. We have a chance to just grab so much more talent and develop them. And then with this rule, we would we would see them play in NBA games more, which is the oxygen that they need to to thrive. There's actually um, a, a, today I was just reading. There's a few. Uh, high-level college recruits that are trying to decide between taking that 125000 from the G League or going to Australia. And yeah. I would bet the G League's got a pretty good leg up right now. You might be right about that, Coach. It could, no, it's I'm, be I'm, cer- I'm certain I'm right because Kevin Martin bought a team in Australia. We're talking about trying to get guys over there. Uh, I, I have players that are playing in Europe, and they're very worried in some cases what their salaries can be next year. This is the chance for the G League to grab an extra 15 to 30 players who normally would go overseas and we'd never see them again, or they had been overseas and we can get them back here now, right when they're reaching their prime. If you guys are watching Europe, which I'm assuming at least Dave, I know you do a lot. Yeah, man. There's a whole bunch of guys in the Euro league that, that should be in the NBA. A oh, whole absolutely. Bunch. And we could, just cause they weren't good enough. They probably were, but even if they weren't when they first uh, were in position to go to Europe or stay here, they're good enough now to be rotation players and uh, we should grab all these guys. And if they don't fit in the NBA, uh, if they do, great. We'll bump some of the NBA talent back to the G League. But we, and then once, once we start that process, uh, heck, at that point, maybe we'll just start keeping them more and more, which is nothing against Europe, but I want these guys to stay here. Well, we talked about Corey Higgins, uh, I think, a lot last summer because I, I thought some NBA teams should have really snagged him, but he got too much money in Barcelona, which yeah. might not be I mean, there. Yeah. But too much money. If they want to choose Europe because they play more, which I'm all for. I have clients that make a little less money in Europe, but they'd rather be the star of their team in, in the ACB starting point guard than here is the second or third string playing for a coach that doesn't really trust them because they don't like Europeans, which still is the case sometimes, uh, especially at point. Uh, I always say, just go over there. You only have one career. It's not about making every dime you can. Go enjoy it as best you can. But I, I personally think it's better for the globe. Because I feel too many too many teams over there play the Americans, give them the green light as if they're all Monte Ellis, and uh, and then the, the, their locals don't get better. They're just rebounding for the Americans, jacking up shots. So get as many of those guys over here to learn how to play, and let those guys you know take from their local talent and develop it. And if they're good enough to come here, great. If they're not, they'll stay there, and that's fine. Uh, well, all right. As we as we wrap up, oh, I didn't get a, oh. I didn't get my turn. Oh, you got to need a rebuttal. No, 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 no. My turn okay. is to do what I would yeah, want to change. Yeah. Oh, oh that's got, right. I forgot. Why are you trying to cut me out, Dave? Huh? Just because I'm you not just... all in on the Elam ending. You're trying to take me out, man. Like, that ain't cool. We can disagree, man. Yeah. No, we hit we hit the target score on this podcast, and it's just over. That's so, right. Oh, get, that's right. Oh. <laughs> We're not going to play out the string with Moe's. Oh, sorry. No, oh, I was going to go somewhere with this one, but I'll leave it alone. Uh, oh. There's an easy joke to be made. Uh but uh, the one thing I changed, and we've talked about it before, John Hollinger wrote a great piece on it. I'm actually all in on no more three free throws for three three-point fouls. I think we've gotten to the point now where guys aren't even trying to shoot a three anymore. They're just trying to draw the foul while shooting the three, and I, I'm just tired of it. It's mm-hmm. it's everything we've seen. Seth talked about when guys coming off the screen and they, they feel the hand, so they immediately go up for the, the shot. Like, we need to get this out of the game. I'm I'm over it. It's, should it's, we do the G League rule? Because I love that. I, sh- I should have said that. I love the G League rule. The uh, one free throw? Yes, the one for two, one for three. It's fantastic. No, I, I, think I love it. it. I think- John's suggestion, which I think is right, is except for the last two minutes of the game. Yeah, it's, same as it's the G League. Two, two free throws. Same. For, 
Not, not, oh, not, not three, just two free throws for, for a foul on three. Because, I mean, you think about it from a from – a, a, that, that makes the foul three the most valuable shot in the game. Yeah, that's why it's the worst play you can make. So hold on. Yeah. I read John's article. I'm not smart as you guys, so maybe I didn't catch it. So if I foul a three-point shooter, what happens? Two free, free throws. throws. Two free throws. Unless, the, unless there are less than two minutes in the game because you don't want to be in a situation where, oh, we'll down three, so we'll just tackle the guy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So so I don't, I don't, or if I don't, there were up three, I'd, I'd rather do one for two, one for three. I found the G League, he was so snappy. Um, and I thought I wouldn't like it at all. I mean, I'm an old man, I'm a basketball purist. I thought, nope, I freaking loved it. It just let went, me, the game went fast. Let me, let me float something at you that I saw. This was, uh, I want to say about five years ago. Uh, the, the Washington Mystics and uh, Minnesota Lynx did what they called an analytics scrimmage, which was they did they did some stuff like mid-range shots didn't count in one of the like the halves they played. Another one they experimented with with some rules. One of the rules they experimented with was on a on a foul where there's free throws, say it's a two-shot foul, you you just award a point and then you get a one free throw for the second point. Which I don't does, like that because it gives referees literally the opportunity to give a, a team a point. But I, I, camps do that a lot. Camps do that a lot. Basketball camps, of which I've coached. But, I mean, if you're, but if you want to, I mean, if you want to disincentivize fouling, like you're literally giving that. points away. You're not I just. Do that, but it opens up too much for the referees. Right. One bad call causes a point. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. All right, guys. All right. Now, I like free throws, I like yeah, we need fewer free throws. Fewer stoppages would be nice, but um, I, I don't think we're ready for hockey subs at this time. <laughs> I don't want that. That's how I run practices. How about tag? We don't stop. About, ta- tag team style subs. You have, to hold, you, have, you have to be holding on to a, You have to be holding on to a string that's attached to your chair on the bench. But if someone, you can tag in and then and then jump onto the floor and you're you're in. I can't wait till the string malfunctions and the and the chair goes with them. Yeah. The way so the way I do the subs is you you can sub in behind the ball, but you can't. It it can never be more than five players from a team on the court at once, or it's a technical foul. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I I do something similar, but not with the subbing. I don't think it's so hard when the ball goes out of bounds. Get your subs in for open gym. I mean, yeah. But I don't want my our rule in open gym for twenty some odd years now has been I'm doing a pod max has been um uh no inbounds on a made basket. Grab it and go. Grab it and go. If you score, you, you can't go. touch it. I like it. Uh, we, we always try to empower all of our players to be ball handlers in the mm-hmm. offseason. Grab it and go. Fly. We try to be fast as possible. Uh, that's fun. All right. So as we wrap up, Mo, what are you guys going to be doing this week? Don't call me out like that. <laughs> no, you, you tried to skip over me. I, I did. I did. Right. I didn't do it on purpose, but I did do it. <laughs> coach, uh, what are you watching this week? Yeah, what do you got going on this week, Coach? Aside from working out. Oh no, so uh that's a big much. So um we interviewed Chad Ford today on um Bring It In. I saw that at five AM, Coach. What are you Yeah. <laughs> He's fine with it. Yeah, the chickens were crowing, literally. Well he calls it crowing. I don't know what the word is. They were cackling or whatever it was. Um that was amazing, guys. Uh and I've got a prep. We're interviewing Dennis Smith, a writer from Elemental that we had on before. He's a, a science writer. It's pretty amazing. And um, I'm watching tape. I've been studying just pick and roll stuff and, and what slow guys are doing as primary ball handlers. 
Uh, I watched uh, yesterday Gallinari playing off the ball, how, how he frequently is so uh, committed on the catch of, of any kind of cut off a screen. Gallinari doesn't tend to catch and hold. He's, he's doing something. And I, I, you know, he's not holding the ball. I think that's the George Carl influence personally. Yeah. Because unless you were Iverson or Carmelo, he couldn't stand for you to hold the ball. And I think it's really helped him. So I'm looking for other guys to do that. And then, and then I haven't got permission from my boss yet as to what to write about. But I think I want to write about um, – I told to Henry I want to write about what, how can teams go through this draft process knowing they're not going to see any of these guys play uh, or even talk to them in, in person before the draft. I want to kind of – because I've, I've talked to some teams and some players what they're doing. I think I can write a little bit about how best they can handle this drafting in a pandemic basically. But, but Henry hasn't approved it yet. Mo? What do you got going on this week? I am working on a story for uh, uh, Bleacher Report and uh, diving into some uh, old Chicago Bulls games, which is also leading me down into the uh, the triangle offense again, which is one of my favorite offenses. So, uh, you know, uh, just having a good time watching old games, Dave. <laughs> Mo knows I, I cannot stand watching old games. It's, okay, it's, already, ha- it's already happened. I don't, yes. I don't need to watch it. <laughs> no, they're not watching the old Lakers. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. I, I'm just not into it. Um, Seth, anything? Uh, so I got a, a couple things. I've got part three of, um, I think coming out on Friday of my styles thing. Uh, I'm kind of returning to kind of some familiar ground for myself and looking at, uh, where all the new three pointers are coming from. Um, and, uh, there's some, uh, some things are, what you'd expect them to be. And some things are a little bit surprising. Um, I've got a conversation with, uh, with, uh, um, John Hollinger where we're kind of, all right, now that we have time to rethink everything, let's rethink everything. And kind of what are some real like pie in the sky ideas for the NBA? Um, and a couple, a couple of the things I'm working on, but those are the, the, the two main ones right now. I've also got, I also, uh, either this week or next week we'll have as part of, we mentioned, uh, um, uh, the athletic goes local kind of initiative we're doing. I'm, I'm writing about my, uh, my favorite restaurant here in Milwaukee that has, that, that is not open currently and hopefully we'll be able to reopen when uh, we come out the other side of this. So, um, do a little love letter to the Vanguard, um, uh, in the next couple of days. Well, and I'm just going to be working on my motorcycle. That's it. That's it. No, no, no basketball stuff for me. I can't wait to see Dave cruising down the 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 streets with like a, a torn denim jacket with like the oh, sleeves no, ripped no, no. off. It's not one of those types of bikes. On the no, no. I'm just, I can't wait for you to do that. It'd be even funnier if you did that on one of those bikes that's not supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, You're not yeah. supposed to be wearing that on. You, know, you did that on a tricycle would just make me laugh. I, what I've decided I'm going to do is uh, as soon as you know things start to open up, uh, I'm going to do the Baja 1000 on my on my. 31 year old bike which you know it's an 89 so i guess whenever i'm able to do it what is that we did the math yeah yeah no no well i I was just thinking by by the time speak for yourself coach well by the time i'm able to do it it may be a 32 year old bike is what i'm getting at um I don't know what the baja 1000 so baja 1000 is um essentially it's a it's all all off-road trail track that goes like a about 1200 miles um down the baja peninsula so i'm gonna do that uh as soon as i can that's that's 
that's what I've decided in the last couple of days. Um, so I'm working on my bike. You know, I had to pull the carbs the other day, clean that out. Old gas stinks. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more Nerd She Wrote.